0: from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. Thank you.
1: Starting at verse 1. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and turned him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. "'Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews?' asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. "'What shall I do then with this one you call the king of the Jews?' Pilate asked them. "'Crucify him!' they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate, but they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him,
0: on page four, you'll find the reading that Michelle will come now and uh, bring to us. Thank you.
2: From verse 25 of Mark 15. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left, Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, Come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down, comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there.
0: I invite the musicians to uh, sit down. Thank you for serving us so well. We're going to look now at uh, a passage that we've not read, so I'm going to read it to you now. It's on page four of your service sheet. It's a short passage. It's a short passage from 1 Peter chapter 2 and a sentence from 1 Peter chapter 3. I've been reminded there's a crash. If you'd like to make use of that, um, please do so with haste. As I read to you uh, three or four verses. If you want to stay in and give your kids a go, I'm fine with that as well. I I us to look this morning at these few sentences from 1 Peter, chapters 2, and in one sentence from chapter 3. So let's read it together. Page 4, page 5 on our service sheets, beginning at 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse, or sentence 23. When they hurled their insults at him, speaking of Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Up to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 on the next page. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. Let me pray and then we're going to think about those few sentences together. Father, we thank you for the help. A little video like that can be to us to imagine in the 21st century world in which we live what it would have been like to be there but we thank you without the internet without the video the bible is enough for us it's the full revelation that you've entrusted to the ages for us to listen to your voice and with your spirit's help to understand who you are please would you help us to do that a little bit more this morning please would you help us to grasp the truth of Good Friday and the wonder of the cross, what it means uh, as a concept, but also what it means practically day by day, what was achieved and the difference it should make to our lives. Please help us. Amen. One of the um, most moving pictures that I think have made its way to the newspaper in recent weeks was the uh, heartbreaking funeral of P.C. Keith Palmer. P.C. Keith Palmer gave his life in protection of the Palace of Westminster. He was guarding one of the guards outside of the Houses of Parliament. And a few weeks ago, with the uh, act of terror, uh, he lost his life. But what got my attention just a few days ago was the thousands, 5,000 policemen and women who travelled from all over the country to make a guard of honour through the city of Westminster through to the cathedral at Southwark, where they remembered his life. They pulled out all the stops, and rightly so. 5,000 policemen, a guard of honour. There were two helicopters that dipped their noses as they flew over, that they normally only do that for royalty. There was a mounted police also providing a guard of honour. But something that struck me, as well as the photos that made its way into the newspapers and into the internet, was the word of, of the Christian gentleman that was taking the service in remembrance of his life. He said, PC Keith Palmer, he laid down his life for each one of us. A very moving sentence that really not just uh, is a wonderful epitaph for the life and work of P.C. Keith Palmer, but also for the work of the Lord Jesus that really helps us to understand Good Friday and Easter, not just Keith Palmer, but Jesus Christ laid down his life each one of us. That's what uh, Peter wants us to understand from chapter 2 and into chapter 3. It's a a comprehensive statement, these, these four verses or so, from 1 Peter 2 and into 1 Peter 3, that helps us to grasp the significance of Good Friday and the gospel as a whole. Why did Jesus have to die? Jesus, like Keith Palmer, laid down his life for each one of us. And I think Peter says three things. First of all, this is what it means, the death of Jesus. And then two things, that's five if you're counting, this is the difference it should make to our lives. He tells us about the nature of Christ's death from these verses. Why did Jesus have to die? What what does death achieve? If you like those political, or rather those police dramas like CIS and NCIS and all the other CISs, there's a forensic nature to what happens in those uh, TV programs and shows. I didn't go for the word forensic, but I've gone for the word legal. Here are three things, beginning with the word legal, that helps us to understand that Jesus Christ laid down his life for each one of us. What does the cross achieve? Point number one. The death of Jesus, well, first of all, it has a legal, forensic, a legal aspect. What do I mean? Jesus' death was not just a great moral example. It was not just a show for people. It was not just something to reveal moral influence for us. Jesus' death had a legal nature to it, and we need to remember that on Good Friday. Look at chapter 3, verse 18. Peter says, For Christ died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. This is what it means. This is legal language. Peter is saying, at the central moment of history, at the central hour of at the central day of all of human history, something legal was happening. Jesus was dying on behalf of the sins of the world, dying in our place. And it's legal, it's, it's forensic. There's something going on that we need to understand legally. Because it says here, Jesus died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Now, when we see the word righteous, we can think of a righteous person as a snooty person a morally upright person, someone who is a bit condescending to people who are unrighteous. That's not what it means. So we need to grasp what the word righteous means. And I want you to come with me to a, a phone interview that I had yesterday. Once a year, I have a phone interview with the tax man. Uh, when I present my accounts and I say, This is how much um, I've earned, this is how much I owe, and he helps me see if I'm going to get any money back. I want you to imagine that you're having a phone interview with the tax man and it goes wrong, it goes south. You realise for the first time, as we try to understand what the word righteous means, you own a lot of money. You own a lot of money and you owe more than double what you're able to pay. The letters start to come as you put the phone down because you think I can't pay it. The letters are followed by people whose footsteps you can hear and whose knuckles are tapping your front door, and then it becomes a fist, because you owe twice the amount that you can pay. The letters don't work, the footsteps don't work, the knuckles don't work, and so then the door gets pushed in with a bit of force. You owe us money. You know it's twice as much as you can pay. But then your friend comes along and she says, I've got twice as much money as him, as you, and I'm willing to pay the price. I am uh, legally, financially righteous. There's nothing I owe, but I understand that my friend owns twice as much as he can pay. Come to my house, she says, and take what you need. I'll be ruined for him. You can gut my house for him, for her. And so the bailiffs go round to her house. They begin by taking off the pictures off the walls. They begin by taking the jewellery off her neck. They take off the electronic goods and they sell those as well. It's still not enough. Out goes the furniture. That's sold as well. I need your car keys, says the bailiff. We need to sell that as well, and also I need the deeds for your house, because that needs to be sold as well. Legally, she was righteous, but she aligns herself with you. You were unrighteous. You had a price that needed to be paid, a debt that needed to be settled. And this lady said that she would step in, in your place. I'll be ruined for you. I'll be gutted for you. I'll be out on the streets for you. I'll become a nobody for you. She was righteous in terms of tax, but she's treated as if she was unrighteous. That's what the word means in chapter 3, verse 18. Jesus Christ was righteous, but he was treated as if he was unrighteous. That's what verse 18 says. It means that Jesus became legally sinful. Here we have the perfect Son of God who lived the perfect uh, life on earth that we didn't live and never could live, but Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. He lived a life in our place, and he presents his righteous record to his Father on our behalf. But on Good Friday, the cross is all about a legal understanding of a debt that needs to be paid, a score that needs to be settled, a debt that needs to be brought in. Now, does that mean that Jesus actually became sinful? No, I don't think it does. I don't think that's what the Bible says. It means that Jesus was treated legally as if he was sinful. Jesus was righteous and always will be righteous, but he was treated as if he was unrighteous, just like that lady who who says, I'll pay on your behalf. She was completely righteous in sight of Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, the tax man. But she said, for my friend's sake, for your sake, you can take everything I owe, and you can treat me as as if I owe his debt, and I'll pay it on his behalf. Jesus didn't become unrighteous. He became unrighteous legally forensically. On the cross, it says in Romans chapter 4, God, what is the cross about? God justifies the ungodly. That is one of the most radical statements in the whole of the Bible. God justifies the ungodly. No other religion on the face of the earth claims that. It's the legal nature of the cross. Verse 18, Christ died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you and me to God. It's legal. Second word, it's final. It's legal. Second word, what does the cross mean? It's legal. Second word, it's final. What do I mean? It says here in verse 18, for Christ died for sins once and for all. Once and for all. There is a huge divide between Protestants and Catholics. Protestants and Catholics believe almost the same thing on many areas of Christian truth and doctrine and practice, but there is one area that they disagree on. They agree on the nature of God. They agree on uh, the person of Jesus. They agree on the fact that God is holy and that the only way to God is through Jesus. That's, That's congruent. They agree on that. The only way for us to come to the Father is through the work of Jesus. They agree on that. But there is an area that they disagree on, Protestants and Catholics, and it's the Lord's Supper. It's communion. It's a different understanding of what happens there that we celebrate later on. Catholics believe that when you celebrate the Lord's table, when you celebrate uh, the supper, when you celebrate communion, God's grace is infused to you. It comes to you afresh every time you celebrate it. And Christ dies literally again every time you celebrate the Lord's table. Every time you take the cup, Christ is sacrificed afresh. That's a Catholic conviction and a belief. The sacrifice continues. It needs to be renewed. You have to keep it up. Because every time you sin... Your sins need to be atoned for, paid for, covered, removed from you. And if you don't do that by celebrating communion, the Eucharist, you lose your salvation. It's a Catholic conviction. But Protestants say, we would say, wait a minute, this sentence in the Bible teaches that Christ died once and for all, verse 18. Once and for all. The communion is not about us having our sins washed away from afresh. It's about renewing a relationship It's renewing a closeness, it's making uh, a commitment afresh, it's renewing intimacy. Our sins have been paid for once and for all. We've received that amazing gift through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ cannot die again. He's died once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. It's closeness, it's fellowship. This is a huge, huge difference. And so Jesus can say in John 19.30, it is finished. One of the words he says from the cross that was said in the video, it is finished. I've worked. You don't need to work. You can't add anything to my work. I'm not going to add anything to my work. It is finished. The price is paid. The debt has been settled. Nothing more for to, to be done. You don't continue his work and he does not continue his work. It's done. And we receive that wonderful gift by faith. But Let me ask you as we rub this in, do you believe that? Do I believe it? It is finished. My problems, your problems in life, stem from the fact that you and I don't really believe that if we're Christians here this morning. We think we can add more. We think Christ can actually do a little bit more for us. But if you believe that it is finished, that Christ died once, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God, there's nothing more to add. It's legal, but it's also final. There's nothing more that you can do to make you acceptable. And I want you to think about that in two words, two more words, conscience and disappointments. Conscience and disappointments. There's a wonderful film by Disney Pixar a few years ago called Inside Out. Inside Out was a very clever film because it used uh, animation to get inside people's heads and hearts, to get inside our psyches. So You had anger. You had all these different emotions that played off against each other as memories were forgotten. There, There was kind of amnesia and it really helped me to understand in a different way the idea of a conscience popping up, the idea of self-talk. If you and I believe that it is finished, then why do we struggle with our conscience? What do I mean? How do you deal with your conscience? When you have a good week and a bad week, when your conscience that we need to bring us to God, that we need and the Holy Spirit uses to help us to grow in Christ-likeness, When you have a good week or a bad week, do you play that game that you played in Playground? He loves me, he loves me not. How do you deal with a bad conscience, with a struggling conscience? Perhaps the conversation goes like this. So you call yourself a Christian, do you? Here you are going to church, but I know what you've done. You say to yourself, how can you sit there when you know what you've seen? When you know the places that you've attended, you know the words that you've said, you know the actions that you've done. You should be further on than this. You're a mature Christian how can you be a Christian on Good Friday when you've opened your Bible once this week, when you've prayed for less time than you've clicked on Twitter? Yeah, well, I've had a good week last week, so that's okay, you say. I had a great week two weeks ago, so surely that's some credit with God. I'm a good person. I'm certainly better than then. And in your heart, you can have this conversation that goes on, at least I do. I don't think I've gone crazy. But as a Christian, you should be saying this. Conscience, I'm glad you're there. I'm glad that you're there to get me back in fellowship with God. I'm glad you're there to actually make me aware of my own sin with the help of the Holy Spirit. But there's nothing more than I can do to add to God because it is finished. Everything that is necessary for God to love me has been accomplished. It is finished. All has been done. There's nothing I can do for God to love me less or more you need to talk to yourself to take this truth in hand that when your conscience is tempting you to despair of hope, that's tempting you to keep you away from church, that's tempting you to keep you away from Christian friends, friends, it's finished. And that means that you can come back to Jesus Christ again because it is finished. It's no, he loves me, he loves me not. The cross demonstrates once and for all that he loves you from here to the moon and back and further on. That's how you deal with your conscience. You say, it is finished. It is finished. When you're tempted to doubt, when you're tempted to think, to double-guess yourself, when you're tempted to accrue points with God, remember it's finished. There's nothing you can do to add to the work of King Jesus. There's nothing you can do to take away from it in terms of your salvation. It's how you deal with your conscience. What about disappointments? Life is often one big disappointment. It's not a box of chocolates, it's disappointment. A lot of us, a lot of the pastoral problems that come my way through the phone or on the email or face-to-face is about the issue of disappointment. My marriage is not what it should be. My life is not turning out the way it should be. My kids are a pain. All these sorts of things come in and you can wrestle in your heart with despair and with discouragement. I wasn't speaking about my own children, of course. Many of our deepest disappointments come from the fact that we are trying to be what only Christ should be for us. We're trying to do what only Christ can do for us. We're trying to make ourselves better. We're trying to work harder. But Christ says, it is finished. The work is done. You can't be what I can be. You can't do what I have done for you. It is finished. It helps you to understand disappointment in a whole new way. You might think, if only I could achieve this, if only I could go here, if only I could be that, if only I could be different in this context, then all would be well. If that's you, at some kind of level, you're trying to think, if only I could better myself, if only I could be a better person, if only I could think in a better way, if only I could behave in a different way. But Christ says it is finished. You haven't got to scrub yourself up. You haven't got to, by your own determination, be someone you're not. In the gospel, you can look at discouragement in a different way. You can look at despair in a different way. Because you don't need those things that the world says you need. All these things, you to control me, to be someone, to attain someone, to something, to go somewhere. But Christ looks at you from the cross and says, it is finished. Do you believe that, friends? I'm loved. I'm known. I'm approved. Someone who's a Christian can say, I understand that it is finished. They have a ballast to their hearts. They're not a religious person. You can spot a religious person because they're not secure. They're anxious because they never know if they're working hard enough doing enough, praying enough, but a Christian can accept the gospel because we know that we are accepted by God through Jesus, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. It is finished. That's what the cross shows us, that there's a legal aspect. There's a a finality to it. We don't need to add anything to what Jesus has done. By our good works, it is finished. Thirdly, what does the cross achieve? It's, It's voluntary. It's voluntary. Look at verse 23 from chapter 2 of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, when they hurled their insults at him, Jesus, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. What does that mean? Jesus Christ died a voluntary death. He's the only person in the whole of history to die a voluntary death. You think, well, hang on, no. Men and women through history have given their life. PC Keith Palmer laid down his life, I think that's a good description of it. People have died in wonderful acts of heroism to save their comrades, perhaps in the armed forces, perhaps in everyday life. Mothers dying for their children to protect them from intruders and so on. Wonderful stories, but there is a difference. People can lay down their lives. They can choose the moment of their death in acts of heroism. They'll dive on that hand grenade to protect the troops. They can choose even the method that they die. But they don't choose their death ultimately. They had to die anyway. All of us have to die. It's the penalty as a response for our sin and rebellion. But Jesus is the one person who never had to die. All of us have to die, but Jesus did not. Jesus went to the cross and died. And he was the only person who did not die as a victim, not as a, somebody who died uh, out of control of his death. His death was the supreme act of authority. He didn't have to stay on the cross as he died voluntarily. And God poured out his wrath completely on Jesus as he felt the agony of the ages of sin. It wasn't the nails that kept him to the cross, was it? He's the creator of the universe. The nails could have just popped out with a word. Why did Jesus stay on the cross? Was it the armed guard? Was he afraid? He's the creator of the universe. Come on. It wasn't the nails and it wasn't the armed guard. Any second he could have said a word. could have stopped human history. He could have got a legion of angels to come down to relieve him of pain. So why did Jesus stay on the cross? What could have kept him there? It wasn't nails. It wasn't armed guard. It wasn't fear. It was love. It was love that kept Jesus on the cross. There's nothing else strong enough in the universe to keep him there. And that means that Jesus' death was legal. There was a finality to it once and for all. It was voluntary. Jesus says, no man takes my life from me in John chapter 10. I lay it down of my own accord. I lay it down of my own accord. That's what the cross has achieved. But what does it mean to us tomorrow or even today? Two quick things as we think about practical outworkings of the power of Christ's death, the power of it. I'll be quick. 1 Peter 3 verse 18 says this, Jesus died, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. To bring you to God. No matter where you are, the cross deals with you in one way or another. Because on the cross, Jesus died for you. And you might think, well, how could you continue to love me after the week that I've had, after the mistakes that I've made, or the places that I've been to? How can you continue to love me? And that's why I began with the book. You might think uh, that you know what love is if you're a a father or a mother. You have an expression of love. If you're a child, you know what it's like to have the love of your parents to you. But what about the power of Jesus' death? This strong unbreakable, unfallible, unbreakable nature of his love. What about that? There's no condemnation for you. The door is always open for your return. Do you think that there's something you've done this week so that Jesus will stop loving you? There's something you've thought, a website you've visited, a bed that you've slept in. Do you think there's something that you've done this week so that Jesus will love you less. When you fall down, there's nothing like the cross to bring you to your senses, I hope. The cross comes back and it argues with us on Good Friday and every day. When you think you're too unworthy, look at the cross. When you think Jesus Christ could never receive me back because of what I've done this week, look at the cross. And Jesus may say this, do you know what I've already put up with on the cross? And you're telling me that this Whatever this is is going to be too much with me. Jesus Christ says, I love you from the cross. Jesus Christ says, I gave myself for you. Jesus Christ died to bring you to God. It's the power of the cross. It's the power of his death. It is legal. It is final. It is voluntary. But day by day, we need to remember when you're tempted to think, how much did Jesus love me? Have, have I broken the covenant? Have I damaged our affection? Maybe. But Jesus will never stop loving you. Look at the cross. Here's the second quick thing. Peter says, verse 24 of chapter 2 of his letter, the reason Jesus died, the reason Jesus became sin for you, the reason Jesus took this unbelievable agony, why? So that you would die to sins, Peter says. You would die to sins and live to righteousness. Notice that word sins is plural. Often when Paul writes, he says Jesus became sin. Or, we want you to die to sin. It's, it's uh, meaning, I want you to die to the power of sin, by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. It means to put to death certain patterns of behaviour. And here it says, not just does the cross show you Jesus' affection for you, his value on you, the, the price that he has for the glory of his Father, so that he would die for him and die for you as well. This word being in the plural shows that actually... One of the signs that the cross is at work in your life, that you understand it, is that means tomorrow you battle with sin. The power of the cross means that you battle with dishonesty, you battle with covetousness, you battle with impurity, you battle with all these different things in your life of being a coward, of not standing up for Jesus. You battle with those things because of the power of the cross. It's not just that Jesus died for you to bring you to God and then you've got a complete clean slate and you can go on your own way. One of the signs that you understand the power of the cross is that you seek to put sin to death in your heart. This is the power of the cross. If you fall down, there's comfort. If you become too complacent, if you think sin is a small thing, look at the cross again. And repent. Say sorry to God for all that you've done. Look at the last sentence of verse 18. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. Peter says, Jesus was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. Friends, to obey Jesus, to follow in his ways, to follow in the pathway, in the shadow of the cross, sometimes feels like death. It will be death to your priorities, death to your own ambitions as you seek to follow King Jesus, as you seek to make his name known in Epsom and Newland to the ends of the earth, I trust. Jesus was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. It may feel like death sometimes to follow Jesus, but it's always followed by resurrection. Is always followed by resurrection. Take that in, process that as we journey towards Easter Sunday, as we think about what the cross achieved and how it should be seen in our lives. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the cross, as those words seem so trite. When we've had read the story of how Your son, King Jesus, was willingly handed over. The righteous son of God, treated as unrighteous, treated as a criminal, treated as a terrorist of sorts, beaten, wounded, rejected, scorned. Father, help us please to understand the legal nature of the cross, what was going on, what was achieved for us. Help us to understand that Jesus took the wrath that should have been ours. Help us to see the finality of it, that it is finished. Help us, help that to earthen our lives, that we would lay our deadly doings down at your feet and trust in Jesus wholly. Would that affect our marriages? Would that affect our work? Would that affect our parenting? Would that affect every aspect and sphere of our lives? And help us also as we, Gain great encouragement and approval from understanding our worth to you. Help us to also be humbled as we seek to put death, put to death sins in our own lives. Habitual ones that are growing bigger. Help us to put them to death, even today, by the power of your Spirit. Help us to look to Jesus afresh and receive a fresh sense as we go to the table now of the price that you paid for us, and would that renew us and renew us Fresh today I pray. Amen.